Hi, I'm Archie Curry. And I'm Dee Curry. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Sunday Sermon. Welcome. It is Sunday, April 23rd. Last week, we began a brand new four-week sermon series called The Way. We started at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12, and we saw how Jesus initiated a new way for the people of God. It's one where everyone can participate, everyone is welcomed, and where everyone is valuable. Today, we continue with part two of this series titled Light the Way, and the scripture continues in Matthew 5 with verses 13 to 16. Here we're going to find that Jesus says it's these very people, the meek, the brokenhearted, the hungry, the peacemakers, the merciful, the persecuted, etc., that are the salt and light of the world. And it's their job and ours to light the way for others so they don't become lost and can't find the way. More in a moment, but right now, let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so excited to learn about your word today. Teach us clearly from it, Lord, about the way, about the light of the way. Open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. A few years ago, my wife and I were taking a trip to Panama City, Florida. We left right after church and started driving eastbound on I-10. We knew it was going to be a long drive, too long to make it one time, so we planned to stop somewhere around Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was about 10 o'clock at night when we crossed over the Mississippi River and were on the east side of Baton Rouge. We were tired and began to look for a hotel. We found one online and entered that information into my phone's Google Map app. At that time, I started seeing signs for I-12 heading to the left and I-10 to the right, and the Map app was saying to head to I-12. But I thought to myself, no way we're supposed to stay on I-10 all the way. The voice in my ear is wrong. We got closer to the split, and that voice was telling me to bear left on I-12. But again, I disagreed and was audibly talking out loud with strenuous disagreement course, my wife Jeannie couldn't hear the voice in my ear, but she heard me getting stressed out more and more. So the split was right in front of me and I went to the right. I stayed on I-10 because I knew I was right and that voice in my ear was wrong. Of course, like I said, the map app then starts telling me to turn around, take the next exit, get back on course. Well, this went on for several miles before I had finally had enough and I pulled over to check the routing on the app. Now it's past 10.30 p.m. by this time, and I'm really tired and I'm really frustrated. But upon closer examination, I found that the app was right. The voice in my ear was giving me the correct directions all along. You see, I didn't look at the route clearly enough before I left on the trip, and I didn't notice that I-12 was where I needed to be. And if I stayed on I-10, I would have driven straight to New Orleans, and that would have been way far out of the way. The bottom line was I didn't trust the voice in my ear and I relied on my own understanding that led me for a time down the wrong way until I turned around and got back on track. This lesson sure made me think of Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 about not leaning on my own understanding but trusting in the Lord, the real voice in my ear and my heart. Chances are good that you've all been lost before as well. Chances are good that like me you needed to get help in some form or fashion in order to find your way again. Some of you had to get directions from an actual person, an expert in the area who knew the way. I'm sure you were overjoyed when they were able to give you perfectly articulated instructions to the exact place you wanted to be. Like, just go about three miles down this road, turn right at the red barn, 
at another half mile down the road, and the place will be on your right. And oh, if you hit the field of dandelions, you know you went too far. It's this level of accuracy that lets you know you're dealing with someone who's traveled the road you're looking for. They know it well. They understand the twists and turns. They also know when you've missed it and what you'll see if you do. These types of people are guides, and they light the way for those of us who are lost. In our passage today, Jesus identifies all kinds of people who are lights for others, and it makes perfect sense that Jesus would be able to rightly identify this particular type of person, an expert who can help guide others when they're lost. The problem is, the people Jesus identifies as experts don't have any training or credentials to lead others, or at least none that we know of. He says they're poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungry, thirsty, etc. He calls them the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He must know something we don't, and as we'll see today, he wants to teach us how to light the way for others. Open up your Bible or Bible app to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, and follow along as I read. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Amen to that. Take a look back real quick at verses 13 and 14. Do you see the word you there? It's three times that it's mentioned. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the word you in these verses is in a second-person plural noun format and can be better translated as y'all. So Jesus is saying y'all are the salt of the earth and y'all are the light of the world. And the y'all that Jesus is referring to are all those folks mentioned in verses 2 through 12. They are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted, and others. Now, this list of people would have stood in stark contrast to the kinds of people traditionally seen in the culture as those who possessed salt and light, those who had the ability and training to lead others in matters of morality and spirituality. So what exactly is the significance of salt and light? And what exactly does Jesus want us to do as we follow him? Well, let's take a look at verse 13. Go there with me. It says, you are the salt of the earth, talking about that list of people that he just mentioned in the earlier verses. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. The phrase salt of the earth, it's a natural expression used to describe someone who's honest, hardworking, and down to earth. It also refers to the idea that salt is a basic and essential ingredient and that people who are the salt of the earth are similarly fundamental and valuable members of society. Now, again, this would have been a shocking revelation to those listening to Jesus here in Matthew 5, that these people were referred to as fundamental and valuable. The salt of the earth also implies that this person is someone who is dependable, reliable, and trustworthy, and that they bring a sense of stability and integrity to the people around them. Now, in short, this passage can be understood as Jesus saying that his followers have a special role to play in the world and that they must be careful to maintain their integrity and effectiveness. The poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted, and others are fundamental and valuable members of society. To call someone the salt of the earth is to express a deep respect and admiration for their character and values and to acknowledge their importance in the community. Going even further, 
it's important to remember that salt was used widely as a preservative by rubbing it into meat. In some cases, it could be used as a kind of fertilizer. Also, of course, it could be used to bring flavor to food. Jesus' call for followers to be salt of the earth carries those uses symbolically into our spiritual lives. As salt preserves meat from rotting, believers in Jesus help to preserve humanity from falling into godlessness, immorality, and chaos, and the resulting judgment. Salt permanently changes the flavor of food, just as the influence of godly people can change a culture. The main point is that Christians serve a godly purpose in the world simply by living out what they believe about Jesus. Christians stop serving that purpose when we stop living in faithfulness to God. The recent references to the Beatitudes put that purpose in context. When Jesus' followers stop being poor in spirit, living in repentance and meekness, having an appetite for righteousness and being merciful, they stop serving their purpose on earth. This is just as catastrophic and unthinkable as if salt were to lose its flavor. Some object to this metaphor by saying that according to chemistry, salt never loses its saltiness. This misses the point and is not true in a practical sense. Jesus' teaching can be taken to mean in part that certain qualities are as innate to a born-again believer as saltiness is to salt. The idea of losing those properties is just unthinkable. In a more practical sense, the salt which people used daily was not chemically pure. It could be diluted or even contaminated. That would result in something that was supposed to be salt but didn't taste or act like salt anymore. They made it useless and subject to being thrown away. Jesus indicates this can happen to a disciple who stops living faithfully to Christ in the world. The point here is not about the loss of salvation, but a loss of purpose. Bad salt isn't destroyed or burnt. It's simply ignored along with the dust of the earth. So with all of this in mind, it would have been an unbelievable compliment from Jesus to be called the salt of the earth. What a feeling to be seen as valuable, useful, and integral in a community that often pushed aside those who were poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungry, thirsty, persecuted, and reviled. Instead of pushing these people aside, Jesus essentially says, you're necessary and you're needed. In the next verse, he tells them exactly what they're to do when he calls them the light of the world. Take a look at verse 14. Here Jesus says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In this verse, Jesus compares his disciples to light. In fact, he calls them the light of the world. Light was a crucial symbol in the Jewish worldview. Just as Greek culture prized knowledge, or Roman culture valued glory, or modern American culture touts freedom, Hebrew culture's ideal standard was light. This concept reflects heavily in biblical expectations of godliness and truth. Here's a few of the scriptures that support this. Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. The way of righteousness is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. Matthew 4.16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. John 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And 2 Corinthians 4.6, Paul writes, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, there is no light in the world apart from Jesus Christ. His light, though, shines through every person who belongs to him. In this way, the light of Christ is distributed into the darkness in every corner of humanity.
It's also super important that this light be visible to the world. Jesus adds to this metaphor by referring to a city positioned on the top of a hill. Now, this is not meant to be hidden. A city on a hill is meant to be seen and found even in the darkness of night. During the time of Christ, the walls around a city on a hill were often made of white limestone, which would be relatively easy to see even in dim light. Jesus continues this thought in verse 15 by saying, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. During Jesus' time, nights could be very dark. In fact, to our modern eyes, the inky nighttime darkness of the ancient world would likely have been shocking. On a moonless or overcast night, people would have struggled to see their hand in front of their own eyes. Caves and interiors of large rooms generally would not have any light source. There was light available, though, through the form of fire, including oil lamps. As houses grew dark after sunset, lamps would be lit and, if available, distributed around the house. But placement was key. The lamps would be put on a stand in the optimal spot to provide as much light to a room as possible. This is the point of Jesus' comment in his verse when he said, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. The light of lamps is meant to be seen in the same way that the light of Christ is meant to be seen in the world. By way of analogy, believers in Jesus are the lamps. In fact, they are the only source of true spiritual light, the light of Christ. That light is meant to be seen. It's meant to shine out brightly from all who belong to Christ. It's meant to be discovered in this way by those still in the darkness. The Apostle Paul picks up this same idea in Philippians 2 verses 15 and 16 when he says, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. In other words, cling to Jesus and shine the light of the gospel, for you are the salt of the earth. Lastly, let's talk about lighting the way for others. Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This verse provides the practical application of Jesus' teaching about being the light of the world. Disciples display the light of Jesus by doing the good works that God intends for them. Even if acting in a Christ-like way earns persecution from the world, believers are meant to shine that light into the dark world. Pastor Chuck Swindoll gives us some interesting advice about this when he said, and I quote, When you live in darkness, you not only have no ray of light, you don't even know where home is. That is the way it is for the majority of the world. Some folks are born, raised, and die in cultures that have never seen their first flashlight of hope. Imagine it. When the truth of that hits me, I find myself a little impatient with Christians who do nothing but shine lights for themselves. They even have what we might call flashlight parties, where they just shine the light on each other. Lots of light. Too much light to be hoarded. Jesus says to shine for the world. Shine your light into the darkness. That's where it's really needed. Spend less time in your own little well-lighted all-Christian world and more time there in the darkness. End quote. In other lessons, Jesus expands on the meaning of doing good works. An important point he makes later in the Sermon on the Mount involves proper motivation, chapter 6, verse 1. Good works done for God's sake in ways that bring glory to God ought to be done so that they can be seen. The light of Christian goodness is meant to shine out so that God will be glorified. However, in situations where the world is likely to merely praise the Christian, it's better for the act to be done in secret to avoid arrogance and pride, Matthew 6, verses 2 to 4. So let me ask you today, my friends, where can you shine this week? Where can you encourage others in the gospel? 
Where can you love others like Jesus has loved? As I wrap up this message, let me say that Christ is the only spiritual light in the world, and that truth is distributed through his people, his disciples, meaning born-again Christians. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live different lives. We are not called to live as the world does, but we are called to live lives that glorify and reflect Jesus. At the same time, we're not called to withdraw from the world. We should not be afraid and find a hole where we can hide in until Jesus returns. We are to be world changers. We are to have a positive impact in our world. We are to speak truth. We are to reveal the life-changing power of the gospel. We are to be salt and light. Followers of Christ, you are the salt of the earth. You are valuable and your story matters. Commit today to live as salt and light. Make a difference for the glory of God by letting your light shine. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9 through 9 says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness for we are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. My friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, your life can be changed today. It can be changed right now. Come, step into the light of Jesus Christ and let him change your life forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.